So what we're doing this summer is we are journeying together through a sermon series entitled Life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit. And I am excited about this series. And the reason why is that City Church is built on three pillars. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church. And what that means is, biblically-based means, is that we always look at the Bible, we look at Scripture, we try to understand and to teach in such a way that we can understand what the Bible says. Relationally driven means that we have experienced, the Bible teaches us, and Jesus has taught us that relationship is the most important thing in life. And then we are a spirit-led church. What that means is Jesus announced and taught us that he would send the Holy Spirit upon his ascension to the Father, and that that Holy Spirit would be here to help us, help us to live out what we're learning in Scripture and also empower us to live in relationships that transform us through the power of the Spirit. Because if you are like I am, you will eventually meet someone that if it is not for Jesus, no way Jose. You ever met someone like that? How many of you are sitting next to them right now? But look, that's how the world is, that's how life is, and we need the power of the Spirit in order to walk out what Jesus calls us to do and to be. Last Sunday morning, I brought a teaching on Samson. It was Father's Day. This morning, I'm going to focus on John the Baptist because last Sunday, I had mentioned that I was going to preach a sermon or I had announced the week prior to that that I was going to preach a sermon where we would look at Samson and a Newer Testament character who in so many ways is identical to Samson. By the way, that is John the Baptist. Many of you may have never thought about this before, but if you look at the Older Testament and then look at the Newer Testament, Samson and John the Baptist, in essence, are the same person. Here's how. Both of them have godly parents. Both of their mothers are barren and older and have not been able to have a child. Suddenly, an angelic visit happens where an angel steps into the scene and announces to Samson's mother and to John the Baptist's father that the wife, the woman, will become with child. Not only this, the angelic visit announces to both sets of parents that they will be having sons, and not just Samson, but John the Baptist is called by God through the angelic visit to take what's called a Nazarite vow. It's where a child from the first of its days is dedicated to the Lord, and there are certain things this child will not do, some of which are to never touch any of the fruit of the vine, nor to touch any dead thing. Then, what the angel announces to John the Baptist, as well as to Samson, that their future will be known. The angelic visit not only announces that they will have sons, but in the Older Testament, Samson is going to be used in a mighty way to lead Israel through the Philistine dominance. 
And John the Baptist will prepare the way for the Lord in doing a new thing. They will be used by God. And what's very fascinating is both of them meet their demise because of an evil woman. Samson, in the end of his life, runs into a woman by the name of Delilah. John the Baptist runs into a woman who Herod, the Jewish king of the day, the puppet king of the day, has taken his brother's wife, and John the Baptist sticks his bony prophetic finger in Herod's face and tells him that it is against God, it's against Jewish law for Herod, who is a Jew, to take his brother's wife. And because of that, Herod throws him in prison. Well, this woman that Herod has married decides that the best course of action is to remove John the Baptist from the scene. And so when her daughter... Herod's stepdaughter kind of does a belly dance in front of him. He loses all concept of reality. He becomes filled with lust. And he promises this young woman anything she wants up to half of her kingdom. And in the midst of that crazed, lustful state, he makes an oath. He will give her whatever she wants. And this young girl's mother is smart. She knows... That if John the Baptist is removed, she will get everything. And so she asked for John the Baptist's head on a platter. Many of us have read the story in the book of Matthew. What ends up happening is John is beheaded, and as grotesque as it is, his head is brought in on a platter in the middle of a party and presented to this young girl and her mother. And the reality of it is, Not only Samson, but John the Baptist meets his demise due to an evil woman. Now here's what's fascinating. For those of us who are into sort of the deeper biblical things, I want us to understand something about John the Baptist as we begin. And it's this. The Older Testament ends with the book of Malachi. For those of you who are Italian, you can pronounce that Malachi. The last book of the Older Testament is a minor prophet book. It's called Malachi. And in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, here's what we read. God, as he moves toward what is called either judgment or covenant renewal, brings a prophecy through Malachi. And here's what Malachi announces to Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the day of the Lord comes. Now, Elijah is long gone physically as a prophet in the Older Testament. Malachi, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, makes a prophecy that God again will raise up someone like Elijah. And before God's judgment comes or... Before God's covenant renewal arrives, someone will show up as the prophet Elijah did. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. And then if you were to look in the Older Testament, you read one or two more verses and the Older Testament closes. There then is what is called the intertestamental period. There are 400 years of radio silence. 
No older testament book is written. There are 400 years of which most of it is found in captivity for the Israelite people. Because of their stubbornness to God, God brings judgment and invading armies show up and sweeps Israel away. And then the New Testament steps in out of nowhere. 400 years after this prophecy, we read about the moving of God beginning to happen again. And even before the birth of Jesus is announced, in the Gospel of Luke, the birth of John the Baptist is announced. And here's what the Bible says. The angel of the Lord comes to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, as he is serving in the temple in Jerusalem. And the angel of the Lord shows up to Zechariah, and here's what he says about his son. And he, meaning John the Baptist, will go in the spirit of who? Elijah. You see, after 400 years, God breaks radio silence and makes the announcement that what Malachi has prophesied is now going to happen. The spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You see, what we discover is that in John the Baptist, the book of Malachi now connects to the Newer Testament. And if I could phrase it this way, John the Baptist is the last of the Older Testament prophets. He is the last one. And in true Old Testament prophet fashion, he goes before Herod the wicked king, and he stands in front of him, and he rebukes him, for his sin, the greatest of which is he takes his brother's own wife and makes her his own. John the Baptist confronts him, and it costs him his head. Now, here's what I believe. Here's what I've come to understand, and it is this. I have a growing conviction that God, through Christ, makes right or redeems all of the brokenness from the Older Testament in the Newer Testament. I believe this. I believe that all of the Old Testament disasters, now someone's going to show up after the service and you're going to hand me some Old Testament episode and you're going to go, aha, show me where in the Newer Testament this gets redeemed. Let me be blunt. I might not be able to find it yet, but if I start looking, I am becoming more and more and more convinced that every single Older Testament disaster, Older Testament brokenness, Older Testament dysfunction somehow, someway shows up in the Newer Testament and through Jesus gets redeemed. And by the way, that is what John the Baptist does for Samson. One of the greatest disasters in the Older Testament is Samson. The Holy Spirit stirs him in his mother's womb, but he lives his entire spiritual life for himself. John the Baptist is stirred by the Spirit in his mother's womb. But he, very differently than Samson, lives his life 
for the glory and the honor and the blessing of God. Again, I have come to believe that all of the brokenness of the Older Testament is somehow redeemed in the Newer Testament, and you can find parallels all over the Newer Testament. As we think about that, though, how do we put feet to our faith with that simple thing that has struck my heart? And I want to put it this way. If God can do this from the Older Testament to the Newer Testament, Jesus can do the same thing with the brokenness in your life. I believe this with all of my heart. I know that some of us are sitting here and you're thinking, my goodness, if the person to my left and the person to my right only knew the brokenness of my soul, the dysfunction of my heart, how bad things have gotten, if they only knew, and what I want to tell you is this, if God can take the brokenness, dysfunction, sin, and disasters of the Older Testament and through Jesus redeem them, he can do the same for you and he can do the same for me. I believe this. And I believe that John the Baptist's primary mission is to show you and to show me that God is able to take a disaster like Samson and to redeem that story and use it for his glory. I believe that. Now, as we look at our story, what we begin to discover is that God, as he promised, John the Baptist begins to have massive influence. And if you were to read in the four Gospels, in all four Gospels, John the Baptist is mentioned as someone that God begins to use in a mighty, in a powerful way. You know what's incredible? The Gospel of Luke tells us that when John the Baptist begins to preach, that people from all of Jerusalem, that people from all over Judea, that people from all over the known world begin to move towards John to listen to him preach and to be baptized in the Jordan River. I want to explain something to you. John the Baptist, when he's preaching, is not preaching in the Martin Luther King Performing Arts Center with a huge parking lot that's easy to find in comfortable seating. John the Baptist is preaching in the wilderness. He's preaching in the middle of nowhere. As the Italian family that I moved into would put it this way, he's preaching in Jabippersville, not in Charlottesville. And you know what's amazing? People begin to find a way to get to John. He's not preaching in some building like our future church building when God blesses us with a permanent home. No, it's like he's preaching along the Shenandoah River, somewhere in the middle of a forest. And he's preaching up somewhere in the Blue Ridge Mountains and people begin to go up in there to hear him preach. And here's what the scripture says, that all of Jerusalem 
And everyone from Judea and the outlying villages begin to go and hear John preach. And the trajectory of his popularity and the trajectory of his ministry and the trajectory of fulfilling God's call in his life is setting a pace that no one could have ever believed. He's at the top of his game. His gifts are being used. His calling's being fulfilled. And people show up. They begin to say to him, you the man. Man, you're awesome. Some even begin to think that he's the Messiah. You know what John says? Here says here's what he says. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I and whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. You know what stuns me about John is his humility. It stuns me. And not only that, but at the end of his ministry, just before he gets arrested, there's probably about a three-year span here, something like that. What ends up happening is one day a group of people come up to John, and it says they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. Hey, teacher, the man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, meaning Jesus, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing. And guess what, John? And everyone is going to where? To him. In other words, hey, John, you used to be the man. You ain't no more. And I can see the people that bring him this news as they begin to say, hey, you used to be at the top. You were the Billy Graham. You were the big dog. You were the top guy. You were the guy that everybody was talking about, and now you're not. And I think they said this to get to him. And you know what's amazing? John responds this way. To this, John replied, he, meaning Jesus, must become what? Greater. And I must become what? Less. Listen, when it comes to putting feet to our faith in the life that walks in the Spirit, please understand this, and John is our example, whether we are winning or losing, we remain humble and give the glory to God. Imagine John the Baptist. He is at the top of his game. Everyone knows his name. Everyone's cheering for him. Man, he's so awesome, they think he might even be the Messiah. But now he's on the backside of all of that, and his popularity is waning, and people are going elsewhere. And what is the answer? Oh my goodness. I just need to decrease. Let me explain very carefully. When you are on the top, you are in danger of pride. And when you are over the top, heading down the other side, you are in danger of criticizing the competition. Seen it happen over and over. 
where people who truly love God, people that are being used by God, people that are in the midst of their gifting, and they do so well. But as one preacher once put it, prosperous times are perilous times. When life is going our way and the wind is in our sails, it's perilous. We begin to think that we're something. But isn't it amazing that John the Baptist would say to anyone who would listen, anyone who would turn their ear to listen to him, he was clear to say, I am not the man. What I want you to do is see Jesus. I want you to see Jesus. And when his popularity begins to go down the other side, and apparently his best days are behind him, he doesn't criticize. He doesn't point the finger. He doesn't say, oh, what a bunch of whatevers. What he does say is this. No, I'm going to remain humble. It's still about Jesus. It's still about him. Let me put it to you this way. The world in which you live and the world in which I live, we need a whole lot more of John the Baptist. We need a whole lot more of people when their gifting are being used and that they're top of the heap, that they live a spirit-led life and they remain humble in the midst of the most glorious of successes. But we also need the other. We need people when the wind of opposition comes the other way and the competition begins to win, that in those moments, in those times, people are still willing to remain humble instead of rising up to be critical and venomous and attacking others. John the Baptist is the clearest example. Let me put it to you this way. Samson didn't do any of this, any of it. It was always about himself, and humility never entered the picture. Now, what ends up happening is John the Baptist in true Older Testament prophet form, the Bible tells us that he goes before Herod and he sticks his finger in Herod's face and he rebukes him for taking his brother's wife. And the Bible says, along with many other things that he had done. And Herod is a very foolish man. He believes that if you can silence the voice that speaks God's truth to you, then God's truth will no longer exist. It's not how it works. But he thought that. And so the Bible says that he had John the Baptist arrested and thrown in prison. Look, I don't know where you're at in life spiritually. I don't know what your journey looks like. But you know something? You can turn the radio off of someone's voice who is challenging you to walk better and to move more towards God. But just because you turn the radio off does not mean that it's not true. But that's what Herod tries to do. And ultimately, John the Baptist is now in prison. And as he is in prison, what's incredible to me, but is so honest about Scripture, is that the Gospel of Luke tells us that John the Baptist's faith in knowing who Jesus is, 
and trusting that Jesus truly is who he thought he was at the beginning begins to waver. And so what he does is he dispatches two of his disciples. And his disciples go, and the Bible says that John's disciples told him all about these things. In other words, his disciples are telling John about all that Jesus is doing and the incredible things that are happening. And he calls two of them, and he sent them to who? To Jesus. Why? To ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Isn't that amazing? John the Baptist, who was so humble, who was so filled with God's presence, who was used so mightily by God, now is on the other side of his popularity. Now he's in prison. And as he sits in prison, he begins to hear some reports, and doubt begins to enter into his heart. So he dispatches two of his disciples, and he says, ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one that I thought you were? Are you sure? And if you were to read in the Gospel of Luke, you would discover what Jesus does next is Jesus turns around and he heals a bunch of sick people. And a bunch of lame people begin to walk. And those that are dying of disease are healed and freed up. And Jesus does a bunch of miracles. And then he turns to these two. He turns to these two. And he says, I want you to go tell John that the lame walk And the blind see, and the dead are raised to life, and his two disciples had just seen that. But then he says something else that's absolutely profound. He says this, blessed is anyone. Some Bibles put it this way, blessed is the man who does not stumble, meaning to fall away on account of me. Whoa. Jesus says to John the Baptist, to the guy who paved the way for Jesus' own ministry, he says to John, he says, listen, John, blessed is the person who does not fall away on account of who? Satan? Nope. On account of King Herod? Nope. On account of who? On account of of Jesus. It's a stunning statement. But if we look at this statement and we put feet to our faith with this one, here's what I can promise you. Faith calls me to accept, and here we go. Jesus does not always do what I want, when I want, and how I want. Here's why. You know what John the Baptist thought? John the Baptist thought this, that Jesus would do the same things that he'd been doing. That Jesus would step into the role of being the Older Testament prophet, and he too would stick his bony prophetic finger in Herod's place, and it doesn't happen. 
And John's sitting there going, oh my goodness, but that's my calling. And how could Jesus be the one that I thought he was? Because he's not doing what I thought he would do. And if he would just do what I thought he should do, when I wanted to do it, how I wanted him to do it, then I'd be sure that he's the Messiah. Doesn't happen. And Jesus says, you know what? Don't fall away on account of me. And I want to say that to you and to myself this morning. That ju just because Jesus does not always do what I want, when I want, and how I want, it does not mean that he is not the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That he still is the one that can pay for your sin. He's still the one that can take your life broken, dysfunctional, sideways with the world, and he can take it and he can use it for the glory of God. Please understand that because I know in the core of my soul some of you have one foot outside the door of faith because Jesus has not done what you want when you wanted him to and how. And Jesus says to John and says to you, do not fall away on account of me. And ultimately faith says, I accept that God has a greater plan and I'm going to trust him. For it. Here's what Jesus in the end says about John when he discovers that John has been killed. Here's what he says about John. I tell you among those born of women, I want you to look to the person to your left or to your right and say you were born of a woman. Got that? I tell you among those born of women, there is no one greater than who? Than John the Baptist. What does he say next? Yet, the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Wow. Because you see, up into the point of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, John was the greatest, born of woman. But after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, there would be people who are born of the Spirit. And that's you. And that's me. And Jesus says, if you think John was awesome, the least, of those who are born of the Spirit are greater than John because John was only born of woman. But you and I are born of the Spirit. And what does it look like to put feet to our faith with this one? Jesus thinks that because of the Holy Spirit in my life, I am greater than John the Baptist. That was weak. One person said amen, and everyone else said, I don't believe it. I know you don't believe it. That's why I'm preaching on it, because Jesus either lied or he told you the truth. Because you look at John the Baptist and you go, no way. But what I'm telling you is Jesus looks at you and says, your life in humility partnered with the Holy Spirit, will accomplish more than you could have ever 
ever have dreamt. Now here's what's even more amazing. Jesus, near the end of his ministry, goes to the region where John was baptizing. And it says this, they said, meaning the people that lived in that region where John the Baptist had been baptizing, it says, they said, now catch this, though John the Baptist never performed a what? He never did a miracle. Never. He preached, and he baptized. Never did a miracle. It says, though John the Baptist never performed a miracle, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? You see, John the Baptist was not born of the Spirit. You are. I am. And let me explain something to you. When we look at the reality of life in the Spirit, I believe that some of us are underselling our potential for God. Do you know what the prayer of my life is? The prayer of my life is this. When I exit this earth, that it will be said, there were people who knew Pete Hartwig, and because of that, they believed in Jesus. What about you? What about you when you head to grounds today or tomorrow at the University of Virginia? What about you when you go to the job tomorrow? What about you when you go back to wherever it is you, where you live? What about you wherever you're at? It says John the Baptist never performed a miracle. And yet that people that were around him, many of them, accepted Jesus. I want to challenge you with the life of John the Baptist. The greatest thing we can ever do is allow God to use our lives to lead people to Christ. And I know some of you sitting there are going, Pete, I have no clue how that can ever happen. I've found in my life it always begins with prayer. It begins with humility. Begins looking at the pain and the suffering and the dysfunction and the brokenness surrounding us and believing that if God can redeem the brokenness of the Older Testament through Jesus in the Newer Testament, He can take those individuals that are around me now that I look at and I say to myself, No way, Jose. God can take them using my life led by the Spirit to see them move towards Jesus. I think about people here at City. I think about some people in my own life that I got to know before they had ever heard of City Church and before many of them had ever considered Jesus. By God's grace, we became what's called friends you know what's shocking? Some of my closest friends are not followers of Jesus. Do you know why? Because Jesus' close friends were not all followers of his either. And Jesus went to Starbucks with sinners. Can you believe that? 
He really did. And he sat down with them. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. You know what's incredible? Many of them followed him. Same as with some of the individuals here this morning. That someone lived something like John the Baptist. Humble. Even when they were on the top of their game, they were humble. When they were on the back hill slide of the top of their game, they were humble. You looked at their lives and you thought, my goodness, there's something different about them. That added up to looking at Jesus, saying, okay, maybe it's true. We're now going to conclude our time together. We're going to conclude it by standing together. And as we stand together, for some of us, this is the opportunity to go, I think, maybe God through the Spirit has a greater vision for my life than I've ever thought possible. For others of you, though, this is the morning for you to say yes to Jesus. It's where it all begins. It's where you look at Jesus. You recognize there must be a better way to do this thing called life. And that instead of being like Herod, where you'll try to turn off the volume of the voice that is calling you to a better way, you would instead instead surrender your life to Jesus and if you're at that point in your life if you are there and you know that you need God to step into your life and to take the brokenness and the dysfunction and all of the stuff where you're sideways with life and sideways for this world and if he can redeem the story of Samson through John the Baptist he can redeem your story as well it all happens through Jesus by the power of the Spirit. So if you're here, that's you. You know it's time to surrender your life to Jesus. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Prayer goes something like this, dear Jesus, I don't know all there is to know about who you are. But what I do know is something in my soul tells me this choice is mission critical for my life. So Jesus, now I ask you that you would forgive me of my sin, that you would cleanse me of the stuff that I have done, and that instead of me walking away, that you would accept me just as I am. But by the power of your spirit, please don't leave me as I am but transform my life so that I can follow Jesus and serve others. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Let's worship together. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close
going to conclude our worship time together. If you would like to stay in worship, we invite you to do that. If you would like prayer, the, the prayer team and the life group leaders are going to begin to move to the sides to pray for those of you who at the conclusion of this service feel led that you would like someone to pray with you and to pray for you. Again, I want to invite you, if you're newer to City, to participate with City Life, which is kind of a welcome to City Church and to the city of Charlottesville. And also today is Ice Cream Sunday. I encourage you to stay. Take some time to get to know someone new before you exit. And so, so now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May God turn his face towards you. May he bless you with his spirit and with his peace. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. In Christ's name we ask. Amen and amen. Let's worship together.
we just ask that you would bless the rest of this day and help us grow closer to you each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.